This is the Ignition Podcast and I'm Harry. If you're listening, I know that one way or another you love cars. It may have started early or you're just dipping your toe into the vast car world. Regardless of that, here I speak to people I, as a petrol head, find inspiring, interesting and entertaining to dive into what got them to where they are today. So, thank you for being here and join me on my journey to becoming the number one automotive podcast in the world. I really need your help. The podcast has been stuck on a certain amount of reviews for quite a while now. And better reviews mean better podcasts. And better podcasts mean more listeners. And more listeners, well, mean better guests. So if you can do me a favour and review the podcast when you've finished listening, I would really appreciate it. It would give me better feedback and learn how to improve the podcast, making it better for you. Now, back to the episode. So, you've only ever seen an F1 race on a recording from your uncle, and you know nothing about motorsport. But you know one thing, you want to race. You're figuring it all out on your own and to make it harder, you've actually never seen someone who looks like you do what you're setting out to achieve. That was the reality for today's guest, Erica Hoffman, who has now won Formula Woman, a prestigious motorsport competition for women in racing. Because of this, she raced in autocross, rallycross, and in a McLaren GT4. But now, she's taking on the North American racing scene under Slate Racing. So, if becoming a racing driver is hard, when you have money and talent, try having talent, no money, and being the minority. Want to find out how she did it? Listen to the episode. I did not know, never, I never thought that I could be at the track or I could race. I watched all the guys race. I didn't think women could do it. It just didn't even occur to me. I remember growing up talking about F1 and all my friends were like, what is that? It was such a foreign concept. How did you go from autocross in the Hyundai to, you know, a, a race car? You had to be flawless. Like if to build like a, a reputation of like, okay, you're not like a weak link or a detriment. So every step in motorsports or anything you do in life, the pressure increases every, every step. Do you have the ability to develop quickly, to learn from failure, to be resilient. Who has those building blocks that we can really lean into and who will make a good a world champion? And what was the motivation after that? What was your sort of like mindset of going, well, I'm now racing driver, what do I do? Where, where'd you go from there? How many Max Verstappens are there who have never gotten a chance to be behind the wheel? Erica, um, why is what you're doing important to you? Why is what I'm doing important to me? Honestly, I think it's it's kind of like a fulfillment of a lifetime dream and something I've been working for for so many years. And it's kind of surreal that I get to work in motorsport and I've gotten to race at the level I have. Just because growing up, I grew up in Canada, didn't have like barely any exposure to motorsports. My family was big F1 fans by happen chance. Like my brother watched a, saw a race happening on some channel somewhere because it wasn't broadcast when I was growing up here um and he was like whoa that's really cool and then my the one other person we knew who watched F1 was my uncle so he like recorded it and everything for us and we got to watch um watch on VHS tape we'd watch like a a replay of the race a few days later because like no one was watching the race we didn't have to worry about any spoilers and I remember growing up talking about F1 and all my friends were like, what is that? And they were like, we've heard of NASCAR, but like, we don't even know. Like, it was such a foreign concept to most Canadians who were just focused on hockey. So it was something I was always passionate about, always interested in and had this like internal drive that I really wanted to be involved in motorsport. I just thought racing was the coolest sport. I played a lot of sports growing up, but 
there's just something special about the like man and machine working together and just the speed of motorsports and everything. So getting to step into that dream and realize it um, as an adult now has been kind of phenomenal. And the what's really cool is like when you aren't racing, like I always had this vision of what racing could be like when I was a kid and just that I thought it would feel so like satisfying and fulfilling and be this exhilarating experience. And then the fact that like, yes, when you start racing, it's a little overwhelming and terrifying, but then when you get into the zone, it really does feel like what I dreamt it would feel like. Um, And that I feel like rarely happens in life is something as good or better than you had hoped it would be. So getting to experience that um, is something personally super rewarding and just like something I've wanted my entire life and it seemed impossible. And then being able to do it is, is pretty unbelievable. I still have to pinch myself. No, it's great. I know. I like, did you do any like karting going up? Cause I knew that like, for me, like karting was a big thing. Like that's the reason I got into motorsports. I was, I was driving carts as a young kid. And I mean, I was extremely you know, lucky to have the, you know, the chance to do that. But for you, like watching F1 and having your like, uncle having to record it for you, and like you having to watch it is almost like, I don't know, did it feel like a treat? Did it feel something that was a higher value because you had to wait so long for that, for that to get it? Yeah. Yeah. Like I didn't cart at all growing up. I wanted to, I didn't really know it existed. I didn't really know it was an option. And like, I knew nobody who carted or anything. And I remember we got this video, like this movie from the library, I think it was called racing dreams or something about these kids, three kids, carding growing up and I watched that movie so many times because I was like that's the coolest thing I wish I could do that but again it seemed like such an impossible thing like I I thought only people in Europe did that or you had to be in the south in the states um so yeah when I actually did my first ever like kind of experience with high performance driving was autocross in our like 2009 Hyundai Accent my dad and I rocked up in this like gutless vehicle and tried to like go through pylons at like somewhat of a good speed and I remember that being a little overwhelming at first and then partway through the day it like clicked and I was like doing it and I was like oh my gosh this is amazing so yeah something where it's like a long time coming um and like it's kind of like you work really hard for just like scraps of opportunity to be on track or to get to race so then when you do have those opportunities you're extremely grateful for them yeah. And what was like, you mentioned you playing you said, a lot of sport growing up. Were they, were they male dominated sports? I mean, what were the kind of things you're doing? Yeah, I played, I played hockey as a good Canadian kid and I was the well only girl on yeah. that team. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I had my own locker room, which was very lonely. I just, I was pretty young. So I'd like sit there. I couldn't even tie my own hockey skates. I'd have to wait for the coach to come into my locker room once I was all dressed, tie up my skates and then I'd go join the rest of the team. So I was kind of a lonely um, experience of of being on a male team. But um, as I got older, I played co-ed sports and then I played like women's or girls sports growing up. I played futsal and soccer and I swam and I, I just, I, I like being active and I like the community that sports brings and I'm a big team person. Like I love banding together with other people to work towards a goal. So um, I played a wide variety of sports. I also like kayaked competitively, like sprint kayak and stuff, which is a very random sport, but my dad was into it. So he got us all into it one summer. And then I stopped because it was like very, uh, it was like six hour practice, six days a week. And I was like a child and I was like, I don't think I can commit to this much training at like 10 years old. 
maybe like now that I'm like an athlete as an adult and working towards my sport, um, now I'm like in that head frame where I'm like, yeah, I could train all the time. But as a kid, I was like, I just want to play outside. Because <laughs> what does that do to like a young, a young girl? Because I, I don't know, I've, I've played sports like my, my, my entire life growing up, but obviously I'm a guy. I played with guys. There was no like, there's no, I wasn't surrounded by women playing sports. And so what does that do to a young female then, you know, in terms of your competitiveness? Does it, is it you know, does you create a sort of advantage, disadvantage? What does, what does that do? Right. Well, I think like, I think there's like a, a double side to it. So I think like I'm so pro women's sports and young girls playing sports because I think it really does give you more confidence. It puts you working together with um, other kids and like builds that team dynamic, just like you would if like it's not a male or female thing, but it builds that that teamwork, that determination, also just the the discipline of being an athlete and everything. Um, I think the one like maybe specific female avenue was I played like a lot of co-ed sports and I remember as a kid like it's very hard to like get anyone to pass you the ball like if you were a girl and I played I remember I was playing with a few girls like there was a bunch of girls on our team and some of them were really good one girl ended up playing like super competitive like moved and we were playing soccer and the guys would like never pass to her or to me because you know they were just passing to each other and I remember when you did get an opportunity to get the ball you had to be flawless like if you made a mistake like they never passed you again and it just took a lot of time to build like a a reputation of like okay you're not like a weak link or a detriment so I think I carried that on a little bit moving forward being like within motorsports being like if I make a mistake then no one's going to trust me I'm going to be like like I don't have like this buffer of like okay like sometimes you'll do good sometimes you won't and I think I I don't think that was meant to be given to me. I think that was something like I took on and like took on to too much of an extreme where when I started racing, I was like putting so much pressure on myself, especially because it's pretty obvious. Like when I started racing as the only girl on grid. So I was like, I have to be perfect. If I make a mistake, it's like a detriment to women and stuff and realizing like, okay, chill out, Erica. Like you don't need to carry this (laughs) intense pressure of like, you have to be perfect or like you're gonna like be a disgrace you know yeah that's a lot it is a lot of pressure like you say to, to put on a young young person any, any any young person at all and like going into racing it's, it's clear that you're without knowing it you've built up resilience to you know to that to dealing with pressure and actually do you feel that that might be one of the reasons we're so, so good at racing you know you've, you've had that from a young age you know you've kind of built up that resilience to pressure but how did you go from you know autocross in the Hyundai to you know a a race car where is where is the you know the 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 journey where does that start yeah well I often joke I have like the most unconventional weird path within motorsports as like a lot of people you know you do karting and you go that route and but pretty much I started with autocross um in the Hyundai Accent had a great time there and then I went to i found out about Calabogie Motorsports Park, which I didn't even realize was a track that was like in drivable distance from my house. So showed up again in the Hyundai accent, um, went on track, it hailed my first time on track. And all these people in their high powered sports cars were like, chilling out because they were like, Oh, my gosh, it's hailing in the middle of summer. I don't even know what was up with that. But 
And then there I was with my like little front wheel drive Hyundai accent bombing around passing these sports cars because like I was still going for it because I was like, well, I'm in an accent. It's fine. <laughs> um, but so I, I did a bit of lapping and pretty much I took my street car, which I then bought, which was a Subaru BRZ. And I, I love that car. Um, and I did like this, you could race your own car, like series at the track. So it was like an evening race. Um, and it was pretty much like a cross between lapping and racing. It was like how you get started with racing. So you would qualify, you had a transponder in your car and then you'd grid and then you'd be racing, but it wasn't like free overtakes. You had to like point the other car past when they were like on your bumper. So whoever was fastest always ended up at the front, but it was like a a safe, like no dive bombing, getting used to having traffic, being used to making sure you're keeping your, your laps consistent and everything. So I did that for a season, loved it, was like just excited to actually step more into racing. Um, and then the pandemic hit, racing shut down, ended up also like hurting my knee pretty badly. So I had to like stop sports for a while. And then I heard about the Formula Woman competition, which was open to non-professional female drivers. And pretty much all I knew about it was they were going to let the winners drive a McLaren uh, GT4 car. And I was like, I am in. I'm entering this competition. And I, again, was like super nervous because I was like, okay, most of the people in this competition have raced before uh, like a decent amount. They've grown up karting. I have just lapped my street car at my local track. So I was like, I'm a bit of a, of a novice going into this. Um, but I just, again, took the position of like, okay, what can I learn from this? This is a, even if I don't win the competition, I can still develop a lot as a driver. I can leverage this to other opportunities. And I think I, I like went through this mental thing of being like, okay, if I get myself stressed out for this, I won't be able to take the next step. I was thinking like every step in motorsports or anything you do in life, the pressure increases every, every step. So I was like, if I put all this pressure on myself to be perfect and not make a mistake at this level, I'm going to stress myself out. How do you, how am I going to handle pressure when it actually builds? So I took it as a very learning experience, um, take as much of it as I can. Um, and so there was four rounds of that competition. The first one I did my intake in Canada, and then I made the top 75 globally. So they had a thousand um, applicants from drivers across the world. We had 35 different countries that year. And so I made the top 75 and I was already like, whoa, this is a win. Let's go. <laughs> um, and uh, then I flew to the UK and then we had two rounds in the UK, each of which we went like a ton of testing. We did a bunch of karting. I remember I had to learn how to go-kart because I was like, I don't know how to go-kart. I've never go-karted and I'm going against like, like legit girls who like, you know, know how to wheel a cart. So I like was practicing go-karting before I went to the UK. We did go-karting. We did on track. We did like hot laps in terms of like qualifying. We had to put down a time. We did simulator. We did fitness. We did mental performance. They put us through a lot of these cognitive tests with sports psychologists on like, okay, do you have the ability to develop quickly, to learn from failure, to be resilient? Because they were like, okay, we're taking non-professional drivers and we want them to perform as best as possible in the shortest amount of time. So like who has those building blocks that we can really lean into and who will make a good um, 
driver based on evidence from other world champion athletes and like shared characteristics. We had to do like technical knowledge of like racing and mechanic skills and stuff like that. And then um, I ended up making the top 15 and then the top 10, we did like a shootout. It was literally just like your time on a track. And it was again, a car I'd never driven on a track. I'd never driven in the wet, which I'd never driven in the wet. And I was just like, okay, well, we just got to feel it out. And like, like at that point I was like, I can't stress myself out because like, I, there's no, nothing I can, by stressing myself out, I'm not going to perform any better. I just have to feel the car and do as much as I can in this like one lap I get. Um, and then the final, they brought in new judges again and we did the final in Sweden and they were like having us also do like rally driving stuff because they were like, okay, you need to like be really quick to adapt. So like how, if we give you a different discipline or something, you haven't practiced a ton because none of us had done any, well, I think some people had, but I'd never done any ice driving at that moment. I was like, oh my gosh, I should have like hooned around more on the, in the winter on the streets to learn <laughs> winter car control more. You should have been more um, a, yeah, hooligan. That was your fault. Yeah. Exactly. I should have been going around doing donuts and parking lots, but it's way too responsible. And like that point I was kicking myself. I was like, dumb choices, Erica. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I was like, what have I been doing? Um, So it was just like, how quickly can you learn a new skill set? How quickly can you adapt to instruction? Because they were like, who can we teach? You have to, all of you have natural driving ability who can pivot their driving style and learn the quickest. And at the end of the day, that with a bunch of other factors of like media training and interviews and all these things, I ended up um, placing first out of and made the GT Cup team, which is insane. I then called my family at like 3 a.m. Canada time and was like, oh, my gosh, how can I race in McLaren? Um, I bet they was, appreciate that call, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, they were all like waiting. They were all like, oh, I think sure. my my brother and my sister and my parents were all in different locations and they all like picked up all groggy and in pajamas being like, so how'd it go? And I was like, I, I made it the team. Um, and so then that was 2022. And then in 2022, I raced um, the McLaren 570S GT4 car with DTO Motorsports in the UK and the GT Cup Championship, which was a really big step up from my lapping my Subaru. Um, so again, not a very conventional route to racing, but also something that I'd been like working towards and really wanting, but just didn't have any funding or ability to get myself there. So all of a sudden I was racing at iconic tracks and like at Silverstone and my family came when we raced Silverstone. I was like, look, we have like a whole lorry set up and like crew. This is very different than me changing my like road tires to my track tires to go race my own yeah, car. Charity tents and all that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and also like in that process, we didn't have a ton of time on track to be able to prepare because it was a really quick, quick turnaround, obviously, from winning to getting in the car. Um, but again, it was another step up where I had to be like, control my fears and, and get, not put too much pressure on myself. And then it was another level of like, this is what I always dreamed of. And actually being able to, I remember my first race, um, and like my first pass in my first race and just feeling like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is what I always like wanted to be doing. Um, so yeah, so that was kind of the, the route. Yeah. I mean, this is, it seems like, you know, for people listening, there's a history of you, like having knockbacks and being able to get back up again. 
So I'm like, it's interesting for me that, that like maybe if you weren't playing sports, you're injuring your knee. It might be the first time you've injured your knee, therefore you might give up. But actually, you know, you've, you might have injured your knee before playing hockey. Actually, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing. You, you keep going, you know, you could, your racing career could have stopped there, but it didn't. Um, I'm interested, like for you, Erica, what goes through your head when you have a knockback and, and what can people learn from what's going inside your head that they can apply to, you know, they're either their racing or, you know, their hardships? Yeah. Well, I think like, I don't know, when you're young, you kind of have this expectation of, of how things will go in your life or your hope for what you, what you think you'll accomplish at different stages. And I realized like things, worthwhile things just take a lot longer than the ideal. Like you, we always hear about these like phenoms who at like 18 have like this crazy career, like, um, are like 13 year olds doing amazing things. And you're like, Oh shoot. Like what am I doing comparatively? Um, it's like every time you go skiing and like a four-year-old whips past you and you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm like, All these 21 year old millionaires. Yeah. No, I understand. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But you have to realize, like, I have to tell myself, like, that's not reality. Those people are on the news for a reason. And a lot of times, a lot of people have, different connections and support systems that you might not have. And that's just the reality. You can't get bitter, like be upset that other people have advantages that you don't because you, I also have advantages that other people don't. And I always kind of look at like, well, I could have been born at a different time or in a different country. Like the fact that we even have cars that we're able to drive is a privilege. So I think there's two two mindsets I'm, I'm like combining here, but like, number one is just the perspective of like the world as a whole and to never feel sorry for yourself in a, woe is me or like looking at that 1% that has more than you. Cause it's very easy to get discouraged when you, especially in motorsports, it's such a wealthy affluent community. You can be like, okay, all these people have more than me and you can start feeling sorry for yourself or not not making the most of opportunities because you're discouraged. Um, but I think you have to look at the reality of the world and just have that gratefulness and that awareness. Like you are so lucky to be here. We're so lucky to not be like enslaved or, you know, with the health, have good health. Like there's so many worse things in life. So because I have all this benefit and privilege from like being born at the time I have been, that it kind of when you're coming from a place of gratefulness and thankfulness i find that it helps you just perform better be more optimistic enjoy the opportunities more and really make the most of of what's coming your way and then i think the other thing i was trying to say was just having patience and realizing like in reality nobody's story is perfect or easy like everybody shows on social media or puts their best foot forward in terms of like oh this is my triumph and my triumph you don't know that the like lows people have had but nothing is like this easy like oh then this happened then this happened it was great it was perfect things take a lot longer sometimes years longer than you think or would hope they would um but you have to just be persistent so i would say it's persistence and having that perspective of gratitude um and what you're doing are things that i lean on yeah that's brilliant and like it's great like you know, how old are you 27 26 yeah just turned 27 yeah. actually no I turned 27 a few months ago but <laughs> just, just turned 27 but like yeah. it's, it's you know it's, it's quite wise and you've clearly gone through a lot to be able to you know get to this point and and that be the, the philosophy you've gained and was there anything from I guess the your time in Formula Women that I want to talk, want to talk more about your I guess racecraft now and sort of the mm-hmm. way you developed as a driver and was there anything like 
the way you take the certain line has changed or the way you deal with on track like for you what what is your style and how you develop that as well throughout your career right yeah I think our training at Formula One was really cool we I worked a lot with Gus Bowers who had been in the McLaren the previous year so he knew the car really well and I found like the big thing through that process was driving the 570s was a different kind of car than I'd driven before and you needed to be you needed to drive it the way it needed to be driven to drive it fast and I think that really taught me a lot about like you have to suit your style to the car and as much as you have your own style I really like like a smooth fluid style but in the McLaren you had to be so aggressive on power because just the way the TC worked and everything and the boost kicked in you had to like go full throttle and then not even if you lift it off like a few percentages it like the boost wouldn't kick in the same so you had to be really committed and you had to just trust the traction control something that in another car you'd be like this is going to cause me to spin out like what's what's happening so it was really like kind of a a weird like breaking that pattern and especially if you'd practice on a sim it wouldn't really emulate that exactly so it was hard because then you got into a car and you're like, okay, I have to do something different and break these patterns. Um, but it taught me a lot to trust the data and to trust the coach. And as much as I, you're somebody who drives on feel, like feel will only give you so much. And there's like this percentage beyond feel that once you kind of have the data and everything on what works best for the car, um, then you have to trust that and you have to lean into that. And it was almost, it was kind of like a one step backwards and then two steps forward. That's not how the expression goes, but that's, um, but I it get was kind of like, like you, you go a bit forward and you have to get knocked back a bit to go for what we like. Even more yeah. yeah. But it was kind of like, okay, you're going to have to change your driving style. It's going to be slower as you learn this new driving style because it's not very intuitive and it's very new to you. But once you get it, then you'll just go faster and faster and faster. And we found that, in the data that those of us who were really trying to do that, that style of driving in the car, maybe our first round wasn't like other people who were doing like how you would normally drive a car were like a few tenths ahead. But then by the third round, like it was pretty obvious, like, okay, this technique actually like slingshot to a lot forward, more forward, just because that's what the car needs to be able to be driven fast. So I also see the really value of working with people who have an understanding of that car, really going through your data and like as much certain things work really well in certain cars, certain things you could do the exact same thing in another car and it, and it bite you. So understanding the data and what makes that car, how you have to drive that car fast. No, I think it's something that Tiger Woods did when he, you know, had to go back into golf. Like he changed, he completely changed his swing. I think his whole thing was that, you know, it was, he knew he was going to be weaker with his new swings. It was a new technique. And actually, you know, I think it took him, it might have taken him three or four opens before he actually got to the point where he was hitting further than he would before. I think mm. this is after an injury as well. And it's like, like you say, you've got to, you know, go back a few steps, learn that. And actually if that technique is going to take you further, it might be worth, you know, paying attention to it or putting some more time into it, or even, you know, just having, like you say, the, the awareness that it will make you faster in the end. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's such a cool story. And even in like, obviously this is a very different example than myself, but like, that's what I've heard why Lewis Hamilton is also so has had such a long career is that he changes his driving style a lot. Again, I don't know him. I haven't talked to him. So this is what I've heard. Neither um, I. <laughs> so if anyone does not have to speak to him. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, I'll carry up. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like I've heard like there's, 
the adaptability and the ability to change what would necessarily maybe be the way you would naturally want to do it, which I do think is obviously important. And sometimes you really need to rely on that like natural feel of a car, but to get that last percentage, like sometimes you do have to change things and just adapt to something that might be less comfortable for you, but is what's needed Mm. in that situation. Yeah. And like, so where does Erica go from this point? Because obviously you've, you know, you've wanted to be be a drag racing driver. You've, you know, gone through this competition. You've got to the GT4. You've now done it, right? You've, you've competed in some races. You're a racing driver. What was the, and what was the motivation after that? What was your sort of like mindset of going, well, I'm now a racing driver. What do I do? Like, where, where do you go from there? <laughs> yeah. So now I'm switching to race more North American based. Um, so once the Formula Woman ended, now I'm working on building my own sponsorship. So last year I ended up getting the opportunity to do rally driving uh, through the FIA Rally Stars competition. So they were kind of like, oh, Erica, you did well in a different driver competition. You want to represent Canada in this driver competition? I was like, sure, because that's my business plan is I don't have the money to race, so I just have to enter contests and and win them. Um, So I did some rally driving this past year. And now, as I said, I'm working on building sponsorship to do more racing, hopefully in North America. I'll, I'll go wherever there's funding, but... Um, would be nice to be closer to home and the hope is to continue with the GT route and to keep um, building my craft and be more successful and being able to build a a more robust career. Um, And then in addition to that, I'm also working with Slate Racing, which is something I founded with a few other females in the paddock to help create more accessibility to people wanting positions within motorsport because it's very, it's a network based, you know, a community it's hard to break into. And as somebody who had no previous ties to motorsport, having to find my way into that, it's hard to know who to trust or what a career should look like. So we're trying to give opportunities for men and women um, who don't have connections within motorsport, get them mentorship and internships within the industry so that they can kind of um, be in a good position to jumpstart their career and we can diversify the community a bit more. So kind of those two things of like slate racing, helping others, and we're wanting to do some endurance racing where I'll hopefully get to drive with that team. And then also obviously building my own career. I'm so passionate about driving and I love being behind the wheels. So any chance I can get, I'm working right now very hard with the sponsorship side of the game to hopefully get back in a seat. Yeah. And um, for like, so for instance, like, I don't know, a young uh, John or Jenny, whoever it is, what comes to you and then comes to slate racing, what, what does that look like for them? So what are you doing for them when they, when they come to you? Or what, what, yeah, I guess what, what is the business model behind that? Yeah. So pretty much what we have is we're just launching it this year. So we'll see how it all plays out and any adjustments we need to make. But what we have right now is especially a lot of young women who are engineering students or who want a career in motorsports, but they have no idea, like, where to go or how to get connected with a team. So what we do is we take them through an intake program or like a process. They fill out an application. We do an interview with them. And then based on that, we'll pair them with a team that helps meets meet their objectives within motorsports. So a lot of them are people who have an idea of what they want their career to be like, um, but just don't have the resources to be placed to get that position within a team or just cold calling a team to get that um that job is a little intimidating and doesn't work very well as someone who cold calls a lot of people within the sponsorship world it's fun (laughs) yeah it's a difficult it's a difficult game so 
um, really pairing them with people who are able to be mentors to them that gets them experience. It gets them connected within the industry. They get to meet more people, build up their skill set. So then they have experience working within the field. They also know a little bit more about the world of motorsports and where they can where they fit, what kind of career they would want. And they already have connections and advocates for them within the industry. So then if they perform well in the internship, it increases their ability to maybe stay on with that team um, and get a job in the future. Yeah. And have you guys got a wait list that people can join up to or is there like a website people can go to for that? Yeah. So they can go to www.slateracing.ca. Um, we're just in the process of rolling out our applications for 2024. So um, but there'll be more information there shortly in the coming weeks and everything. So if people are interested, um, then they can apply there. And then if they fit the program and we have a good spot for them, then we can match them up with a team. Yeah, that's great. And um, for, I mean, just for you, Erica, personally, take, you know, taking the career out of it, what is your, I guess, if I said to you, the next 10 years can look like whatever you want to look like, you can write them however you'd like. What would be, you know, Erica's ideal sort of future? What would it look like? Um. Okay, dream world, I would just be racing all the time <laughs> um, and just going from racetrack to racetrack. Um, I would love to go into GT3, do big endurance races, um, like, yeah, just like racing all the time. And then additionally, I'd also love to do some stunt driving, things like that, because um, that's another cool discipline when it comes to performance driving. Um, and then long term, once I'm washed up and retired from, from racing, um, then I'd love to, I've done some humanitarian work in my life. Um, and so I'd love to return to doing that and take some of this transferable skills from learning how to market and network within motorsports and help get funding to different issues around the world. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Cause like, for instance, like this podcast, like if I see the next 10 years, it's just eventually I wanted to help people get into motorsport, like do what you're doing. And it or even on the automotive industry, and that's like I've had I've had ideas for like courses and like getting people to go not go to university, but actually try, you know, just seeing if I can get courses accredited by universities, making it cheaper that's and more so accessible cool. for people to do it. Because like you say, motorsports hard to get into. You've got to have at least I don't know a couple hundred grand to do a series in, a, in any yeah. in any in any any discipline. And I think it's something that you know I'm I'm happy that you're you know advocating as well at diversity and because it, it's just you know even though that, you know, the barrier is there for a reason because cars are expensive and, you know, the training's expensive and people, the, the team's expensive. But actually, if you can give more people opportunities, you might find a better racing driver in, I don't know, Nigeria than you can find in North America. Like there is, there is yeah. many people that can't do it and so many people that don't think they can do it because either there's not someone in the sport that they can, like, you know, connect with. There's not someone that they see themselves being like. And I think what you're doing there is fantastic. So please, yeah, please carry on. Thanks. No, I, I really admire what you just said there. And I think you're right. Like that's such a perspective, like how many Max Verstappens are there who have never gotten a chance to be behind the wheel? Cause I feel motorsport is one of those sports where it's like such a large barrier to entry. There's very few people who actually get a chance to do it. So if we could somehow rejig the motorsports world to make it more accessible or like you look at other sports, obviously they're uh, exactly what you said. There's a reason there's a barrier to entry. It's just a very expensive operation to do. Um, but if it could, you could create something that is more similar to like, okay, anybody can play football if you have a ball and cleats, you know, like, so could we get 
and then once you're drafted by a team you're you're taking care of and everything can we find talent and can it be a bit more of a genuine like best of the best sport versus just okay who has the ability to pay for it yeah cause if you, i mean if you look at sports which are older than most sport like rates like for like soccer or football you know i'm gonna speak in american terms here because uh, you know, and there i was trying to football, <laughs> I was... It, it, it's you know even though it's like american football football so those kind of things right they have scouts they have academies they have you know people looking at grassroots Whereas if you go into motorsport, there are very few people looking at karting. There's very few people looking at, I don't know where you'd find indoor karting or where you'd find people that want to race, right? That's why I think sim racing is quite important as well. Because if you can create a championship where you're proving to other people that you're quicker, you know, you say that the Grand Turismo film was always a big one. I quite, I really enjoyed that because that proves that you can take someone on a simulator and chuck, even though it's a film and it's based off someone in real life, but you can still Mm -hmm. do it. There are people that are doing it. People have done it. And I mean, for your company, you know, being, I don't don't keep hammering the fact you're female, we get it. But like the reason I guess you loved motorsport is because you were growing up with it. But there's, you know, there's women that are young girls now that aren't surrounded, that don't have dads that love motorsport, don't have uncles that record them F1 games. So for you, what, what is, what is the thing that you think would help the most to get to get that diversity going? Yeah. Well, I think like we're already on the step. So even when I've in my life, I've seen such a transformation in terms of interest in motorsports. I honestly think like Drive to Survive did a lot for racing within Canada, just like going to the Grand Prix a few years ago, the amount of people there versus going to the Grand Prix now is like insane. You can't get tickets like it's it's full and there's a large percentage of female fans. And I think um, like it's just something that wasn't highlighted to women as much. And I think now on the grand scheme of things, women's sports is being elevated across the board. You see, we now have the PWHL. So like the, I don't know if I said that acronym right, but the, (laughs) the women's okay. Perfect. You now have the professional women's hockey league. You have more and more funding going towards like soccer in the States. You have, you see like what's going on with the Lionesses, you see NCAA basketball tournaments on a whole. I think women athletes are being more represented and and there's still a long ways to go if you look at the discrepancies, but it's being a lot more recognized and championed. So I think on a whole young girls seeing themselves as an athlete and seeing that that's an, a a choice for them because before it was kind of like, uh, like there's nothing in women's sports. Like you can't like post university, like that's going to be your career as a university could be the best you could hope for. And then that's it. So I think in general, appreciating that women can be athletes and having that, that light shed and that funding and seeing that it actually is a very valuable market business-wise and everything. I think that's what makes the difference that people are like, okay, like every hockey, all the season tickets for the, PWHL were sold out before the season started like there is an appetite for it so knowing that it's about like a viable business plan is promoting women's sports and then from there also the increased visibility of motorsports and that you realize it is a sport that does draw a lot of women and I think it kind of just builds and like snowballs off of it so when there's no women at the track it takes somebody to be very like they have to have a strong passion for motorsport to feel like they can walk in there. Like for me as a teenager with a bunch of middle-aged men and only me as the only girl, like a lot of people told me like I had an interest in motorsport, but I didn't 
wanted, it wasn't enough. Like I felt like it, it wasn't for me. And I felt like I couldn't step into that versus now you have three or four women at the track and then it, it builds and builds. Then it, it makes room for people who have a passion for the sport, have a passion to work in the industry, but felt like it wasn't for them. Now they can see themselves in that, that area and are now being able to take those steps. So I think we are moving definitely in the right direction. I think it's more visibility, more funding to, to female athletes, more opportunities for diversity within teams and problem solving. I think having a diverse um, background when you're coming towards a problem, whether that be in any area working in motorsports, like in the team dynamic, whether that's communications or engineering or something, I think diversity really helps when you're dealing with problems just to come at things from a different perspective. Cause when you're beating your head against the wall, trying to solve a problem, it's good to, to get different perspectives on it. So I think it is definitely moving in that direction. I think the visibility and more funding towards women athletes also helps. And it's really cool to see now more and more women who have that interest because it's not like they're just all of a sudden like oh like this was something I was really didn't want to do but now I have an interest in it it's like they always had that interest there was always women who are talented in these ways and who want to be involved um but now being able to see themselves like even I was on after I won Formula Woman I was on the news like in my city and I got like a dm from a older woman who was like, I did not know. She was like, it never, I never thought that I could be at the track or I could race. She was like, I, my brother raced, my father raced. I watched all the guys race. I didn't think women could do it. It just didn't even occur to me. And then seeing you do it, I was like, of course women can do it. This is amazing. And she was like, I wish I had seen this sooner. Cause like, it's kind of just that if you don't see it, you can't picture yourself doing it. You just don't think you're allowed or you don't have the permission to step into that role. So now that we have women who have gone before us and before me and have stepped into that role, it gives me more confidence. And then me and my peers being able to be drivers, it gives the next generation coming through carding more confidence. Great. Erica, um, before we end the podcast, there are five questions. Um, I'm going to do one. Um, okay. just, I think it, that was a great ending up. You've covered, covered the questions anyway. So I'm just going to okay. do the last question. Um, and then so Erica, the last question of the, the podcast is, um, what do you love most about racing? What I love most about racing? I love the community around racing and the shared passion and that so many people are willing to do so much. It's, it's great when you're walking around a paddock and people are like, okay, it could be the worst day, but there's no bad days at a racetrack. Just the passion that people have behind it. And then just that feeling when you're in the car is like unmatched, like the, the focus you have, this is everything, like everything else fades away and you're only in the driver's seat focused on what's coming. And it's something that I've been very passionate about and wanted to do my entire life. And that, that feeling of, of being in control and when you're meshing well with the car and it's listening to you and you're able to like, just be in this synergy is just an incredible feeling and so satisfying. And then you get out of the car exhausted and it's just like, I don't know, there's something really special about it to feel like you did your best and the car performed well. And it's kind of a daring, exciting feat. So like all the adrenaline and everything um, is, is it's just an incredible experience. So I'd say the community and then just the, the feeling of being behind the wheel and getting to work with the car. No, brilliant. Well, well, thank you for coming on. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been, um, it's lovely to sort of get a different perspective um, on racing.
Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you having me on and your perspective on things and, and your take. I like your heart behind wanting to make motorsport more accessible and your thoughtful question. Being a racing driver was, at one point, something in my life I saw as a way to make a career. But, as Harry inevitably realised, money and talent are two things you need loads of if you want to make it pro. But since starting this podcast, there was a third aspect I missed out on, and that is sheer will and determination to achieve greatness. So it's not too late. You can still achieve your goals. They might just look different when you get there. Oh, and if you happen to be in the minority when it comes to that thing, use it as your superpower. Super, super, super quick. If you could do me a massive favour and share this podcast with a petrol head in your life, it will mean so much to me. It helps grow the podcast, let it reach new people. New people mean new guests. New guests mean better podcasts. And well, that means a better experience for me and for you. This has been the Ignition Podcast. I'm Harry. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.